Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For today's episode, I bring you part three of Agatha Christie's 1-2 Buckle My Shoe. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. It was a month since my dentist, Mr. Morley, had been found shot dead in his surgery. Chief Inspector Jap was convinced it was suicide, but I was not satisfied. For four weeks I had gone about picking up sticks, and now, following the nursery rhyme, I had to lay them straight. But there remained the enigma of Miss Sainsbury's seal, who had visited Morley's surgery on that fatal morning, and who had vanished without trace that same evening. John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Philip Jackson as Chief Inspector Jap in Agatha Christie's One, Two, Buckle My Shoe. Hercule Poirot? We've found her. You better come round. King Leopold Mansions, Battersea, number 45 on the second floor. The porter will bring you up in the lift. I'll be waiting for you. You haven't wasted much time. No, no, no. Come on in. Hmm. Not particularly pleasant, I'm afraid. But I expect you want to see for yourself. She's dead. What you might describe as very dead. Yes. I fear my nose has already registered that fact. Hmm. Not nice. Not nice at all. But what can you expect? She'd been dead for nearly a month. She's over there in the box room, in an old fur chest. A shabby shoe with a gleaming buckle. And, oh, mon Dieu. Pretty horrible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Why bash her face in like that? There's a spot of brandy in the next room. You better have a drop. Oh, oh it was not pretty, that... Now tell me all about it, my friend. The flat belongs to a Mrs Albert Chapman. She is, I gather, a well-upholstered, smart blonde of 40-odd. Keeps herself to herself, no children. Mr Chapman, it seems, is a commercial traveller. Sainsbury Seal came here the evening we interviewed her, probably. When she walked out from the Glengarry Court? She'd been here before, the porter says. He took her up in the lift to the flat. The last he saw of her, she was standing on the mat pressing the bell. But what about Mrs Chapman? That's a funny thing. She's been gone for five weeks or more. She left a note for the daily woman who worked for her that she'd been called away. Ah, it is all very curious. And why was the face of Miss Sainsbury still so brutally disfigured? Sheer vindictiveness, perhaps. Or it might have been to conceal her identity. But it did not conceal her identity. No. For a start, we had a good description of what she was wearing when she disappeared. And then I found a handbag stuffed into the chest. And there was an old letter in it addressed to her at a hotel in Russell Square. But it does not make sense. Hmm. Might have been a slip. Whoever did it cleared up in a hurry. There were traces of blood on the linoleum which had been missed when the floor was washed down. 
I should like to see Mrs. Chapman's bedroom. Come along, then. You won't find anything very illuminating. Jap was right. There was a lavish array of cosmetics, two bottles of blonde hair dye, and a row of shoes. Size five. Uh, There's something worrying you, Poirot. What is it? There is, for me, an insoluble problem. I must have another look at the body. You're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? But don't let me interfere with your fun. A shabby old shoe with the buckle evidently sewn on by hand. And the shoe fits tightly. What are you trying to do? Make it all more difficult than it already is? Exactly that. One patent leather shoe complete with buckle. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But all the same, I do not understand. Then let's get out of this place. There's a Mrs Merton lives at number 82. According to the porter, she knew Mrs Chapman quite well. At first she had little to tell us. They had been to the cinema together and had played bridge. But then, when Jap told her that a woman's body had been found in the flat, she confessed, almost in a whisper, that Mrs Chapman had once told her that her husband worked for the Secret Service. Shades of Phillips Oppenheim. That's all I needed. But when we reached Jap's office... A curious piece of information awaited us. It was the name of Mrs. Chapman's dentist. Morley. You'd think there weren't any other dentists in London. Ah, at least there will now be no difficulty in positively identifying the corpse. You surely don't imagine. Well, I just want to be sure. I'll get my sergeant onto Morley's dental record straight away. And can you tell me where Morley's sister is living now? Not in Queen Charlotte Street, that's for sure. She said she couldn't bear to live there any more. She's taken a small country cottage near Hartford. I've got a note of the address somewhere. So you think Miss Sainsbury's seal was murdered too? Your brother never mentioned her particularly to you? Not that I remember. He would tell me if he had had a particularly trying patient or if one of them had said something amusing. But he didn't usually talk about his work much. Do you recall anything about a Mrs Chapman? No, nothing. Miss Neville would really be the person to help you over all this. Do you have any idea where she's living now? She has taken a post with a dentist in Ramsgate. I can give you the address. She's not yet married to that young man, Frank Carter? No, and I hope she never will be. I don't like Frank Carter. There is something wrong about him. He seems to be totally devoid of any moral sense. Do you think it is possible that he could have shot your brother? He's certainly capable of it. He has a quite uncontrollable temper. But I don't see that he had any real motive. It wasn't as if Henry had succeeded in persuading Gladys to give him up. Could he have been bribed, do you think? To kill my brother? What a perfectly extraordinary idea. And that was that. Her housemaid, Agnes, who had been with her at Queen Charlotte Street, came up to me as I was leaving and asked whether the police were certain that her employer had shot himself. But she would not tell me why she was so anxious to know. I returned home to find an unexpected visitor. I will be frank with you, Monsieur Poirot. It is sheer curiosity that has brought me here. I see by the papers that Miss Sainsbury's seal has been found. 
the cause of death is stated to have been an overdose of medinal. That is quite correct, Mr. Barnes. Now tell me, have you ever heard of Albert Chapman? You mean the husband of the person in whose flat Miss Sainsbury Seal came to die? Well, he was rather an elusive character, it would seem. But hardly non-existent. Oh, yes, he exists. Or did exist. I had heard he was dead. Who was he, Mr. Barnes? I don't suppose they'll say at the inquest. Not if they can help it. They'll trot out the story of a traveller for an armaments firm. He was in the Secret Service then? Well, of course he was. But he had no business to tell his wife. In fact, he ought not to have continued in the service after his marriage. Not when you're one of the really hush-hush people. And Albert Chapman was hush-hush? Uh, oh, yes. QX912. That's what he was known as. I don't mean that he was specially important, but he was useful because he was an insignificant sort of chap. He was employed quite a lot as a messenger up and down Europe. You know the sort of thing. One dignified letter sent via our ambassador in Ruritania, and another, not so tactful one, containing the real dirt, carried by QX912, Mr Albert Chapman. And you say you heard he was dead? I did, but you can't believe all you hear. I never do. What do you think happened to his wife? I can't imagine. Can you? I did have an idea, but oh, it is very confusing. Anything worrying you in particular? Yes, Mr. Barnes. The evidence of my own eyes. How the devil did you know? My good chap, I have not the least idea of what you are talking about. What gave you the idea that the body in the chest wasn't Miss Sainsbury's seal? It was the face that worried me. Why was it disfigured beyond recognition? I'm beginning to wonder if that's why Morley was done away with, so that he couldn't give evidence. Fortunately, all his notes were still intact, and there's no question that the dead woman was Sylvia Chapman. Fundamentally, of course, the two women were not unalike. They were both in their early fifties and roughly of the same height and build. Both of them had graying hair which they touched up to make it appear golden. One thing you've got to admit, Maybell Sainsbury Seal had as good and proper. I'd have sworn she was the genuine article. But she was the genuine article. We know all about her past life. We didn't know she was capable of murder. And that's what it looks like. Sylvia didn't murder Maybell. Maybell murdered Sylvia. You're right. It is not easy to reconcile her with murder, but... I'm going to get to the bottom of this case, Poirot. That woman isn't going to put it over on me. But it was a very different chap who telephoned me the following day. Do you want to hear the news? It's not poo, my lad, not poo. Pardon? The line is not very clear. It's all off. O-F-F. We're to sit down and twiddle our thumbs. What is off? The whole blinking thing, the whole bag of tricks. No, I'm afraid I still do not understand. Listen carefully, because I can't mention names. You know we've been combing the country for a performing fish? Well, strictly speaking, a seal is not a fish, but, uh, yes, I comprehend. Well, it's been called off. Hushed up. Do you get me? Yes, 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 but why? Orders from the ruddy foreign office. But why should they want to hush up something about uh, your performing fish? They're not. They don't give tums about her. It's the publicity. If she's brought to trial, too much might come out about who the corpse really is. Mrs. A.C. That's the hush-hush side. 
I can only suppose the corpse's husband is somewhere abroad in a ticklish spot, and they don't want us to queer his pitch. But letting our performing fish off the hook really makes me see red. She will not get away with it, my friend. Our hands are tied, I tell you. Yours may be. Mine are not. <laughs> Good old Poirot, that's what I like to hear. So you're going to go through with it? May we? To the death. Well, don't let it be your death, old boy. If this business goes on as it's been going on so far, someone will probably send you a poisoned tarantula through the post. As I put the phone down, I wondered why I had used such a melodramatic phrase as to the death. It was absurd. But then, that evening, a letter came. A letter from Alistair Blunt. My dear Monsieur Poirot, I should be greatly obliged if you would call on me sometime tomorrow. I may have a commission for you. I suggest 12.30 at the Gothic House. I apologise for giving you such short notice. Poirot? Monsieur Poirot, you have already received or shortly will receive a letter. Who is speaking, please? It is not necessary that you should know. Very well. I have received, madame, eight letters and three bills by the evening post. Then you must know which letter I mean. If you are wise, you will refuse the commission you have been offered. That, madame, is a matter I shall decide for myself. I am warning you. Your interference will no longer be tolerated. Keep out of this business. That is a threat, madame. You cannot alter the course of events, so keep out of what does not concern you. You understand? Oh, yes, I understand, but I consider that Mr. Morley's death is my concern. Morley's death was an accident. He interfered with our plans. He was a human being, madame, and he died before his time. He was of no importance. There you are wrong. It was his own fault. He refused to be sensible. I, too, refused to be sensible. Then you are a fool. There was no point in trying to trace the number. I was fairly certain that the call had come from a public telephone box. But where had I heard that voice before? It was disguised, certainly, but... Could it not have been the voice of Miss Sainsbury's seal? In the newspaper the following morning, I read that the Prime Minister had been shot at as he was leaving Downing Street with a friend... Fortunately, the bullet had gone wide. I thought you'd be round soon enough. Did the papers mention who the friend was? No. Who was it? Alistair Blunt. And we've every reason to believe that the bullet was really meant for him. Unless the man was an even worse shot than we thought he was. And who was this man? Some crazy foreign student. But he was put up to it, or so he says. How was he caught? Well, that's a strange story in itself. There's usually a small group of people hanging about outside number 10. When the shot was fired, a young American chap grabbed hold of a little man with a beard, held on to him like grim death, and yelled to the police that he got the gunman. Meanwhile, a foreign bloke was quietly hooking it. But one of our people nabbed him all right. Who was the American? A fellow by the name of... Rakes. Huh? What's the matter? Howard Rakes. Staying at the Hoban Palace Hotel. Of course, I thought I knew the name. He was the bloke who ran off from his appointment the morning Morley shot himself. Funny how that business keeps cropping up. Good morning, Monsieur Poirot. My name is Selby. I am Mr Blunt's secretary. Good morning, Mr Selby. I am so sorry, Monsieur Poirot, and so is Mr Blunt. He has been called to Downing Street. 
a consequence of the series of events last evening. I did ring you at your flat, but I was told you had already left. Oh, please do not concern yourself, Mr Selby. Mr Bunt commissioned me to ask you if it would be possible for you to spend the weekend with him at Action, his house in Kent. He would be happy to call for you in the car tomorrow evening. Tomorrow? Mr Blunt really is most anxious to see you. Then of course I accept. Mr Blunt will be delighted. If he calls for you at about a quarter to six, will that be... Oh. Good morning, Mrs Olivera. Oh, Mr Selby, did Mr Blunt give you any instructions about the garden chairs? I meant to talk to you about them last night because I knew we'd be going down to... Who is this person? Do you know Mrs. Oliveira, Monsieur Poirot? I'm delighted to make your acquaintance, madame. Oh, how do you do? Of course, Mr. Selby, I know that Alistair is a very busy man. It's quite all right, Mrs. Oliveira. He told me all about it. I have given instructions for the chairs to be taken down to action. Well, that really is a great load off my mind. If the weather forecast is she correct, She clucked it will be fine on and weekend, on, rather like a hen. Like the good fat hen who rhymes with ten. Like but there was something really about her voice. I understand there will only be ourselves down there this weekend. Monsieur Poirot will also be joining us. Mr. Blunt has been kind enough to invite me. What a very odd thing for him to do. He particularly told me he wanted a quiet family weekend. Mr. Blunt is most anxious that Monsieur Poirot should come. Well, he didn't mention it to me. I hope it won't interfere with our plans. Mother, do come along. Our lunch appointment is for 1.15. I'm coming, Jane. Don't be so impatient. Well, get a move on. Oh, hello, Monsieur Poirot. Monsieur Poirot is coming down to Exham for the weekend. Oh, I see. Why are you doing that, Monsieur Poirot? It was a kind thought of your uncle's. When did he ask you? Jane! Stay away. You're not welcome. <clears throat> Come along, Jane. Keep out of what doesn't concern you. Then we will call for you a little after six, Monsieur Poirot. I was trying to make sense of what I had just heard. Mrs. Oliveira's words were almost identical to the words the woman had spoken on the telephone, and the voice was almost the same. But surely that empty-headed fat hen could not be involved in the conspiracy? I don't think the fellow was shooting at me particularly. And anyway, the poor chap hadn't the faintest idea how to aim. Just one of those half-crazed students. There's no harm in them, really. They just get worked up and fancy that a pot shot at the PM will alter the course of history. There have been several attempts on your life, have there not? Oh, it all sounds very melodramatic when you put it like that. Someone did send me a bomb by post not long ago. It wasn't a very efficient bomb. These fellows want to take on the management of the world. What kind of a business do they think they could make of it when they can't even put together an effectual bomb? Perhaps they consider practicality to be rather irrelevant. I'm sure they do. But I mustn't go on talking shop. I've been looking forward to hearing a few of your adventures, Monsieur Poirot. I read a lot of thrillers and detective stories. Do you think any of them are really true to life? The house at Exham was charming and furnished with quiet good taste. The cooking was excellent and the wine distinguished. But none of this could entirely distract me from the icy disapproval of Mrs. Oliveira and the unconcealed antipathy of her daughter. All through dinner there was a sense of tension and unease which became particularly apparent when Blunt happened to remark on the absence of Helen Montresor, who was, it seemed, his second cousin. Is Helen not dining with us tonight? 
Dear Helen has been overtiring herself in the garden. She looks so exhausted, I suggested it would be far better for her to go to bed early than to dress up and drag herself over here. She quite saw my point. Well, I suppose you're right. I thought it might make a bit of a change for her at weekends. Helen is such a simple soul. She likes to turn in early. After dinner, Mr. Blunt asked me to wait for him in the study while he discussed a matter of business with Mr. Selby. From the dining room, I could not help but hear the voices of Mrs. Oliveira and her daughter. I don't think Uncle Alistair much likes the way you disposed of Helen Montresor, Mother. Nonsense. Alistair is too good-natured. Poor relatives are all very well, and he's very generous to let her have a cottage on the estate rent-free but there's no need to have her up to the house for dinner every weekend. I don't think he ought to be imposed on. She's very proud in her way, you know, and she's so devoted to the garden. That shows a proper respect. The Scots are very independent, and one respects them for it. And then Alastair Blunt came in and closed the study door. The reason why I asked you down here, Monsieur Poirot, apart from the pleasure of your company, of course, is that I'm not at all happy about the situation over this Sainsbury Seal woman. Because they're concerned to protect Sylvia Chapman's husband, Albert, he's involved in some vital undercover work, I gather, the authorities have called off the hunt, and the police have got their hands tied. But that's not good enough for me. I want to know the truth, and you're the man to find it out for me. You aren't hampered by officialdom. What do you want me to do, Mr. Blunt? I want you to find the woman. Alive or dead? You think she may be dead? If you want my opinion, but it is only an opinion, then yes, I think she is dead. What makes you think that? Oh, it would not make sense to you if I said it was because of a pair of women's stockings in a drawer. You are a strange man, Monsieur Poirot. Perhaps. But I am mathematical, orderly, and logical, and I do not like distorting facts to support a theory. I've been turning the whole thing over in my mind, and the business gets odder the more I think about it. I can't help feeling there must be something pretty sinister behind it all. Oh, yes. There is certainly something behind it all. And I'm pretty certain the Sainsbury Seal woman can never have really known my wife. It was just a pretext to speak to me, and it can't have just been to do with some petty subscription to a missionary society. I can't help feeling it was engineered somehow, meeting me like that on the steps of Morley's house. But why? What was the point of it? Yes, that is what I have asked myself. Was it perhaps to draw you to someone's attention? No, but the idea is childish. And why should anyone wish to point me out? That morning in the dentist's chair, the day of Morris' death, did he make any mention of Miss Sainsbury Seal? She was his next patient, after all. No, I'm sure I should have remembered it if he had. No, this other woman, Mrs Chapman? No, nothing. You see, Monsieur Poirot, we didn't speak about people at all. We mentioned old roses, gardens needing rain, that sort of thing. And no one came into the room while you were there? Yes, another dentist fellow looked in briefly, chap with an Irish accent. Ah, yeah, that would have been Mr Riley, his partner. And there is nothing else you can remember? No, Morley appeared absolutely normal. As he did to me? Uh, did you happen to notice a young man who was in the waiting room that morning? Yes, I did. A rather nervy and restless character. Mm. Did he try to engage you in conversation at all? No. Who is he, anyway? His name is Howard Rakes. Should I have heard of him? Have I met him somewhere? I do not think so. 
He is a friend of your niece, Miss Oliveira. Oh, one of Jane's friends. I gather that her mother does not approve of the friendship. I don't suppose that would cut any ice with Jane. I understand that Mrs. Oliveira brought her daughter over from America to get her away from this young man. Oh, it's that fellow. A most undesirable young chap, I believe. Mixed up in all sorts of subversive activities. I believe he made an appointment that morning in Queen Charlotte Street solely in order to get a look at you. To try and get me to approve of him? Well, no. <laughs> I understand from Miss Oliveira the idea was that he should be induced to approve of you. Of all the damned cheek. Mm, it appears you are everything of which he disapproves. He's certainly the kind of man I disapprove of. A tub-thumping young hothead who'd be better off doing an honest day's work. Will you permit me to ask you an impertinent and very personal question? Far away. In the event of your death, what are your testamentary dispositions? Why do you want to know that? Because it is just possible that it might be relevant to the case. Nonsense. Perhaps. Who benefits by your death? Chiefly, the St. Edward's Hospital and the Royal Institute for the Blind. Ah. In addition, I have left a sum of money to my niece by marriage, Mrs. Oliveira, an equivalent sum, but in trust, to her daughter Jane, and a substantial provision to my only surviving relative, Helen Montresor, who was left very badly off, and who occupies a small cottage on the estate here. I trust you're not suggesting that any of these ladies are plotting to do away with me for my money. I suggest nothing. Nothing at all. But you will undertake the other commission for me. The finding of Miss Sainsbury seal? Of course. Good ma'am. What have you been telling my uncle? What lies have you been whispering into his ear? Do you know what I think of you, Monsieur Poirot? You are nothing but a miserable little snooping spy, nosing around and making trouble. No, mademoiselle. I assure well, I'll you that... tell you this. You won't find out anything at all. No one is going to harm a hair of my precious uncle's head. He is safe. He'll always be safe, safe and smug and prosperous without an ounce of imagination or vision. I loathe the sight of you, you bloody little bourgeois detective. Bourgeois? Hmm. I could hardly deny that my outlook on life was essentially bourgeois. But what had I done to provoke such a savage attack? I looked into the dining room where Mrs. Oliveira sat playing patience. She gave me the kind of look she might have bestowed on a black beetle and went on with her game. Red knave on black queen. Alas, it seemed that nobody loved me. I walked out into the garden and breathed in the smell of night-scented stocks. I simply could not begin begin to get a grip on the mystery. What lay behind the mysterious mission of Albert Chapman? What secret was Molly's made Agnes holding back? But the most unaccountable obstacle was the problem of Maybelle Sainsbury Seal herself, for if the facts were true, then nothing whatever made sense. Ah! <sighs> Was I perhaps growing old? Or could I no longer rely on my little grey cells? In part three of Agatha Christie's One, Two, Buckle My Shoe, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Chief Inspector Jap 
by Philip Jackson. Alistair Blunt, Philip Franks. Mr. Barnes, Patrick Godfrey. Mrs. Oliveira, Joanna McCallum. Jane Oliveira, Amanda Waring. Georgina Morley, Caroline Wildey. Selby, Trevor Rawlins. The music was composed by Tom Smale. One, two, buckle my shoe is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>